Nine minutes it is now before 8 p.m. And I certainly hope, Enolwandle, that uh, our signal distribution gods are with us. Well, I mean, it's quite ironic, right, that uh, we're battling with the line, especially when we're discussing the story of Centec. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, some of the amounts involved here, I mean, I was shocked, um, you know, around 72 million rand a month uh, paid by the SABC to the signal distributor. And by the way, Centec is also state-owned, and it used to be part of uh, the SABC. It used to be SABC's technical division uh, before mm. 1996. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think SABC is actually quite fortunate to have a supplier who gives them a discount on their fees mm. and also just keeps caps that deflationary. Um, although, you know, obviously there's a lot, I imagine. I mean, I don't know what, what, what is a reasonable number for how much you should pay per month. Um, so I wouldn't know whether it is absorbed or not. But they do state, SBC does state that switching to, um, from, you know, terrestrial to going to, um, um, moving to, you know, satellite distribution is going to be much cheaper. But this is something that's been in the works for many, many years now, which they've failed to really implement. Um, so, and at this point, I imagine the SABC in trying to justify um, its poor finances. Every single cost is going to be, you know, emphasized as being exorbitant and the reasons for example. But I think there is more to it than that. So I feel like this is just another um, item, line item in the in the in this income statement of why things are going badly. But I think there's quite a lot more than that as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess the other question, and maybe this might be the conundrum for the uh, Department of Telecommunications and Digital Technologies, which is if indeed the SABC, as uh, the COO has suggested, uh, would consider private signal distributors uh, uh, because of, I guess, the relatively uh, uh, overpriced elements that they suggest. I mean, they're saying they could get a 94% cost saving if they did. What would that mean for Centec? So, I mean, at the moment now, I'm sure over 80% to 90% of the revenue of Centec comes from the SAPC. So, mm. I mean, the concentration is high, and that's how it's been. It's fully reliant. So it probably wouldn't exist because it's basically only servicing, you know, the public sector and us and the SABC. So it would fail to exist. Um, but if it's so much cheaper to use third party, I mean, then why hasn't it been done up until now? I imagine, you know, this could have been, you know, implemented or, you know, considered many years ago. Um, so, you know, and, you know, whether, and the thing is, other outside suppliers will not be giving you a lot of discounts, you know, every year and being as, as reasonable as Centec has been. And that comes from the fact that a lot of concentration of Centec is, is SABC. If you go to a third party, you might necessarily be, you know, the top tier client. You might be one of many. Mm. And therefore, if you're in a financial situation, definitely you'll not get those favorable terms and conditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Let's shift our attention now to, to another story that I found quite interesting. Consumer price inflation slowing down to the lowest in three months and uh, probably at uh, uh, the bottom end of that uh, 3 to 6% target range. Uh, and I guess this is inflation that's already happened for the month of September, but uh, it certainly does confirm a lot of the predictions and forecasts that people have come through with. Yeah. So people had, I mean, the market was you know, expecting 3% and it came in exactly at 3%. So, um, you know, I guess each side's data is quite accurate and to the point. And 3% is very, very low. I mean, wow, when, when in three years ago, we never imagined seeing a 3%, which is literally, we're literally 0.5% from below the target rate of, this, of the Reserve Bank. Um, that said, because it's in line with expectation, we don't expect any adjustments to the full year um, forecast because it's, like I said, in line with expectations. 
we don't, you know, there might not necessarily be any moves from the central bank either because it's in line with, with, with estimates. So it's not really a surprise to the downside upside. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I guess when, when you look at uh, that inflation number um, and you think about what's forecast by way of inflationary expectations and the space that the central bank might have or not have to cut rates further, I mean, well, what's your sense of that? So my sense, my personal sense is that the Reserve Bank is at a point now where they're taking a wait-and-see approach. Mm. They've done quite a lot, and I think it's only fair that they now they stop and see, okay, let's see what we've done and how it plays out. Um, it's, it's no point that you're going to keep, keep cutting and then, you know, you're not seeing the benefits of that. So I think they're at the point where let's see how it filters through to the economy. Is it helping it back? Let's us have tangible data to show us the fact that it's the case. Um, and then, you know, because you don't want to use up all your ammunition. And then, you know, I think they want to still have something left in case, mm. you know, for example, we get another another wave. Um, but if, you know, all else is showing positive signs, then I think, and they also can't, you know, do all the work on behalf of the government. I think they need to be, you know, this comes to parties. They really have to surprise many people, considering that we had 50 year lows. And I think they're going to stop now and see, let's see how it plays out and give us some ammo in case we need to step in again. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, interesting discoveries off the southern uh, uh, coastline there, just off uh, Mossel Bay. Uh, Total, alongside uh, Qatar, uh, um, you know, Qatar Oil Company here, and Main Street, which is a South African consortium, discovering a second significant gas reserve uh, around the same, I guess, proximity around the same area. Yeah, I want to get excited about this, especially when they say things like it could bring a children rand boost to the SA economy over the next few years. What's um, stopping but we still <laughs> Because where's the money? Show me the money. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's dreams. They're selling us dreams at this point. But I mean, um, but I think we've seen from, you know, I think Mozambique also had, you know, a huge year discovery there, which is, you know, I'm really going to make some, do some big things for the economy. So I think, you know, in terms of any, you know, resources that it could find, especially, you know, gas, um, will have many benefits. But it is still the exploration phase. Um, but I think it's a good thing that we're finding this is our second discovery. And with every discovery, obviously, the potential you know, boost to the, our economy is great, especially now I didn't even discuss with how much we need it. Um, but I think, you know, there's still a lot of assessments and discovery to be done before we can get excited. Um, but I think, you know, it's just like a figure enough cap that we could have maybe, you know, for maybe two to three years down the line when we can start monetizing our, our, our the gas, the gas reserves itself. Mm. I, I was asking a question earlier of uh, my two colleagues, Amar Kessler, uh, how we could go about avoiding the resource curse. I mean, if, if, if you think about all of the countries in recent times that have discovered some type of oil, there's always been these political economy contests around the rents that come from the sector, uh, the debates around a sovereign wealth fund uh, would potentially, I guess, re-emerge after this uh, a particular discovery once we know more about it. But, but how do we avoid that curse of you know, shifting all of your resources in your economy towards uh, uh, sectors that are linked to your oil reserves? And then, of course, when the oil price tanks, uh, having to deal with the fallout of that. So I think it's very different if, you know, if your economy was originally for since since for for many centuries has been dependent on that and when your economy has been built around that. With Africa, I mean obviously we were we had the same issue with mining and gold mining. Um it was a huge, you know, we are, you know, a lot of the shine and glory of South Africa was based on our mining and in our reserves and we were that but because now the supply has gone down, um, you know, 
gold got out of flavor, and now we're not as dependent on it. And I think that was a huge learning curve for South Africa in terms of you know resources and you know how the cycle can just knock you down. In us finding a new resource now, I think we're much wiser. And I think even now, even with mining, even gold where it is now, I mean, everyone knows it'll last forever. We know how to tack on the get the cash flows and save some money, have some buffers, save mm-hmm. up for any days. And I think we'll do the same as we find any other resources. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, let's shift our attention to the medium-term budget policy statement. I mean, uh, you would have certainly been watching this one closely. Just some of your, your, your thoughts before we maybe get into some of the detail. So, you know, you know, ahead of this, I think there was no way you could have any good news coming into this. There really isn't. There is nothing to, there wasn't a single, you know, data point or anything to signal that there would be positively any positive news. I think it was always a matter of how bad it is. And I think, you know, um, it, it from my perspective, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And I think there was room for it to even get worse. And but I'm also also concerned that there's little room for fiscal slippage, which we've been very good at over the last, say, four to five years. Just, just for the purposes of people who might not be familiar with that term, uh, what does that mean? So in terms of fiscal spillage, it's basically if you're going over budget, that's simply what it is. We, we budget something and, you know, we hope it's what we get. But, um, you know, when it comes to actually delivering the budget, we find that we've gone way over budget and we spend more than mm. we actually budgeted for. And it just feels like we don't have any room for that with the scenario that's been painted. Now, now the other element, uh, um, that many people were talking about, you would have heard uh, the report suggesting and uh, speculation, I guess, uh, if, you, if you take what Finance Minister Mbowini was uh, suggesting uh, this afternoon in his discussions with journalists, which is around the conditionalities of a two billion US dollar World Bank loan, which uh, were about dealing with the public sector wage bill, um, and then, of course, ensuring that there aren't any bailouts to SOEs. On those two fronts, uh, if indeed you were to look, I guess, at this MTBPS from the perspective of those two, what would you say? So I think they probably address those conditions in the budget so that they don't have to deal with that in the in the conversations with the World Bank. So given this budget now, they could probably go back to the World Bank and say, look, this $2 billion is not actually going to be spent on, on you know, SOBs because we've just had a medium-term budget speech which caters for all of that. Um, mm. But the problem is now... In terms the 10.5? Yeah. So the 10.5, let's talk about the 10.5, right? Mm. And, you know, it's very easy to focus on the 10.5. That 10.5 is part of a 761 billion rand deficit. So that 10.5 is just basically, it's a, you know, not even a 2% of our, our problem of how bad the budget is. And it's very easy to look at the small numbers in detail and say 10.5 is, is, is bad. And I understand that the sum of the parts is big and we add up all these small ones. But our problems are much bigger than the 10.5 billion mm. to the It's much bigger. And if you are focusing on that, then you're missing the big picture of that 800 billion rand budget deficit sure, sure. that has gone up from the 330 billion that happened in the previous year. That's you know, almost 500 billion rand. And then the 2.5 billion is, you know, <laughs> it's a very small problem compared to the mm, bigger one. Mm. And the public sector yeah. wage bill issue, I mean, uh, the, the prospect of a deal just on the score, because 
I guess, uh, you know, the reality is that it's not a done deal. I mean, even the 160.2 billion saving uh, in the medium term expenditure period is n far from being concluded. There's a negotiation coming up. Yeah. There's the court case around the last year of the existing multi-year agreement. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that one might be a difficult conversation. How would you approach that one? So, you know what? That is going to be a fight. It's going to be a big fight, especially when you're going to have people throwing 10.5 billion in your face. And I think we know that that 10.5 billion is still very short in terms of the, you know, the saving that they're, that they're planning on getting from, from you know, lowering the wage bill. I think, you know, what the government needs to be good at is actually, and I hope maybe this is what the conversation or the, the, the tone of how we deal with things in the future is to change the mindset of how expenditure goes. There's a lot of expenditure that's happened from a budgeting level in terms of allocation in different departments. And I understand it's, you know, none of it is good. There is nothing good about it. But if we need to learn, have a culture to learn to how to be more efficient with less, it's something we need to learn how to do. We have not been doing it. All we've been doing is paying more. We're not getting the benefit of paying more. There's no efficiency. We're not getting, you know, the, the output required or any benefits from the spending. So we're not getting revenue for the expenditure at all. It's actually the opposite way. We get, we're spending the money, but there's actually no revenue coming in there. So mm. I think these conversations should be going to lead to the fact that there needs to be a change in mindset and even how our wage grows. And I remember, you know, sitting with, with, with the Treasury team in February saying, how did we get to a point where we've got unions and especially in the south, in the, as far as, as the teachers' wage bill has been growing exponentially, but are our students benefiting are they? Are our teachers more efficient, better, and teaching? Is our education system benefiting as well? And they're like, no, mm. we're bullied by Satu. So we need to get to a point no. where that's not what we're doing anymore. You know? But these are How the kind you of say you bullied by Satu when you're part of a government <laughs> that agreed to pay progression but, and occupational specific dispensations in the 2000s? They said that, you know, they didn't ah, have a choice to, you know, and Satu was going and fighting. And, you know, but, you know, every time you go to a negotiation table, both people need to benefit. There can't just be one person benefiting. Uh, uh, there needs to be that change where, yeah. you know, I understand you have like a social objective of of. of, of of reducing poverty and inequality. But if you're just going to write out free checks, then that's what we're going to keep doing and going for debt as well and going to uh, <laughs> increasing debt. So we need to change that, that mindset as well, I think, we need to change. Sure, sure. No, Rwanda, I mean, my view on this one, just as I let you go, is that um, mm. I think the messaging and the tone of the conversation from the February budget right up to now from the Treasury has in many cases made it very difficult uh, to even contemplate a deal here. I don't think some of those in Labour have dug in their heels on this question. Uh, and if the conversation was about saying, let's renegotiate that last year, rather than saying, you know, we're going to leave the bargaining council and we're not going to honour this agreement, a lot could have been done a lot more better and we could have presented a very uh, unified uh, uh, sort of voice on the score. And I think we've lost that opportunity. But Nolwandle, uh, let's leave it here. Always a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, we'll certainly watch uh, developments closely as they unfold. Thank you very much. Uh, that there was Nolan Tombeni, a market analyst, speaking to us this evening. And uh, I want to I echo that again. I, th I do think we could have done better to make sure, at least by the medium-term budget policy statement now in October, that at least there's some clarity on this public sector wage bill story. And the reason why this is in the courts, uh, where it's ended up now, where it shouldn't be, um, is, is largely because of, you know, I think, how some of those issues have been... Um, uh, reflected on at the public se uh, public sector 
uh, a coordinating bargaining council. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, I also think that it's certainly going to complicate the next round of negotiations uh, that are coming up in the next few months or so, at a time where we probably need a, uh, a compact uh, between uh, public sector workers and the government that would be able to take us for the next five years uh, of our recovery. Because clearly that's what we're hearing here. We're hearing that in the next four years or so, 40 billion rand in new taxes are set to be raised and uh, also seeing... I guess and hoping that uh, the uh, debt to GDP will stabilize around 95% uh, uh, in the next five years or so. So if the time horizon is five years, and what are the chances that you're going to be able to negotiate and amicably find each other for a five-year period around some of the things that the Treasury has been speaking about, or wage freezes, headcount reduction, and anything else that comes with the public sector. You might have a different view. You might be working in the public sector. You might be a nurse, you might be a policeman, you might be a teacher. Tetanna, to give us a ring, 089-110-3377. We'll pick the, up that conversation once again with uh, Abusi Sibeko under the microscope. We're going to take a brief break now, and when we come back, we'll look into the world of transport. Now, transport... Uh, if I am just to look at the adjusted budget, um, I had uh, an allocation of around uh, uh, 57, um, I think around 57 billion rand or so. And uh, of that, uh, only around 27 billion has been spent in the first six months of the year, around 48%. It certainly was the one space where a massive number of the cuts have happened. I think just over 4 billion rand in cuts, uh, 4.7 billion rand in cuts, if you think about uh, the June adjustment budget and, of course, uh, some of the appropriations that have happened around the MTBPS and uh, also saw just over a billion rand cut in higher education and training, human settlements, 2.26 billion uh, cut. Uh, that was a cut that already happened in June, uh, largely affecting the upgrade of informal settlements. And uh, it's certainly something that is uh, quite discouraging at this point uh, if we think about the pro-poor elements of this particular budget. Let's take a break. When we come back, Jacob Mamabulu is my guest and we talk about the Gauteng Smart Mobility 2030 plan. Stay tuned.